0: So this morning we come to Revelation chapter 21. But uh, looking back at chapter 20, it's only um, 15 verses long. So let's just go back and, and read through chapter 20, and then we'll read our way on into chapter 21. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now when a thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from prison, from his prison, and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breath of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth And the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works." Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Verse one. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. So as we meet it as we meet outdoors here this morning on this beautiful day and we take a look around and the earth that is below our feet and the sky that is above us, the lake, the grass, the trees, all of this will someday pass away. And sin will forever be dealt with. There will be no more death. There will be no more Satan. And the only people that will be left are those that are found written in the book of life. But everything else that your eyes see today will burn up and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So we're reading this here in the first verse of Revelation chapter 21. But what I'd like for us to do is just kind of look at some other scriptures that confirm what we're talking about here. And let's mark this page and let's first turn to the book of Second Peter, Chapter Three. Second Peter, Chapter Three, Second Peter, Chapter Three, and Looking down at verse 10. It says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So we saw that in Revelation, right? And I wasn't making that up when I said that everything's going to burn up. But then verse 11 says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? And this right there is a huge question from Scripture. I mean, it's of great importance. How should you and me be living today knowing that Jesus is coming again and knowing that everything as we now know it Will be done away with. Should we be living for this world or should we be living for that which is to come? So that's a huge question from Scripture there when you consider the fact that everything will burn up, that everything will be dissolved. And one thing is for sure, we should be living in a holy and in a godly manner. And verse 12 tells us what else we should be doing. It says, Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. So that is really the continuation of the question that was started in verse 11. But it, te- but it does tell us there what we should be doing. We should be looking for the coming of the Lord. And I'm sure you know this, but the word hasten there means to be quick to do something. That's what the word hasten means, to be quick to do something. And we need to quickly make sure that we are living godly. We need to quickly make sure that we are living holy lives. Right. There's no time for putting that off. Because all of this can happen at any time. Let's read on verse Thirteen, And I am in um, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So that's what we're reading about in Revelation chapter 21. There will be a new heaven and a new earth and in this new place only righteousness dwells again like i said sin and death will be done away with satan will be done away with verse 14 says therefore beloved looking forward to these things be diligent to be found in him to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless and consider that the long suffering of our lord is salvation. In other words, many people like to say, well, haven't we been talking about the Lord coming back for centuries? Haven't we been talking about this for a long time? Where is it at? Well, Peter's telling us here, hey, live right, because it is going to happen. But the reason that the Lord is long-suffering, and in other words, the reason that He's waiting is because of salvation. He's waiting for people to be saved. He's full of grace. He's full of mercy. And He's giving people the opportunity to be saved. But the time is coming quickly. So it could happen any day. But again, Jesus, in His great love, has given people opportunity to be saved. And if you are saved today, then be diligent to keep yourself at peace with the Lord and live out your life to the best of your ability to be remaining without spot and blameless, as it says here. Don't fall into the sin of this world. Don't allow yourself to be distracted and turned away from the Lord because He is coming again and we must walk in the paths of righteousness. Now I want to show you some more verses here in regards to the new heaven and the new earth that we're looking at in Revelation chapter 21. Turn to the Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 65, Isaiah 65, Isaiah chapter 65, and we'll start reading down in verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing, and her people a joy. And we're going to talk a lot this morning about the new Jerusalem, Verse 19, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. So again, this is what we're seeing in Revelation chapter 21. But let's take a look at another passage of Scripture. Turn to Psalm chapter 102. So Psalm 102 Psalm 102, and we'll start reading in verse 24. I said, Oh my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. Your years are throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak, you will change them and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years have no end. So, this is King David here speaking of the fact that the heaven and the earth as we now know it will be changed someday. The heavens and the earth, in other words, the sky above, the earth below, they're the work of God's hands. He remains forever the same, but the sky above and the earth below will be changed. Again, as we think about that, how then shall we be living, right? And of course, the answer is in godliness and in holiness in this present age. And as we turn back now to Revelation chapter 21. And before we move on at the end of verse one here in Revelation 21, we're also told that there is no more sea. Now. Bible commentators offer reasons for this, such as there are scriptures that refer to the sea as being raging, right? Something that God has to calm, and the sea in Revelation is said to give up the dead and at the time of judgment, like we studied last week, right? But I personally look on the sea in a different way, you know? I look at it, and this is just my simpleton mind, but you know... The earth today is 70% covered by water. 97% of that 70% is salt water and is useless when it comes to human consumption, right? And the main thing that the seas do today is divide up the land and keep people apart. And of course, there is life in the seas that we can eat and sustain life on. But when the new earth comes, John when a new earth comes, John simply says that there is no more sea in it. And again, I look at that very simple and I don't spend a whole lot of time on that. I just say, that's a fact, Jack. That's what he says and that's what it is. And But remember, we'll never have heaven here on this current earth. But this current earth, as we now know it, will be done away with. And John is seeing a new heaven, right? The sky above, that is, and a new earth, the ground below. And he just says, there's no more sea there. It just doesn't exist anymore. But stick with me here, because there is something that we're about to see here. And that is is that John is going to describe a new city that comes down, in which those that are written in the Lamb's book of life dwell. Okay, and that's the point of what we're studying here. And remember, John is seeing all of this in a vision. And he's describing it to us in writing. But let's look at verse 2 here of Revelation 21. It says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, come down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So the city that John sees coming down is called New Jerusalem. And John compares the beauty of this city with a bride adorned for her husband. You see, the Bible says when a man finds a wife, he finds something very good. Marriage is God ordained and beautiful. And when a bride walks down the aisle to be given to her husband, this is a beautiful thing here on this earth, right? It is a holy matrimony. This is how John is equating the coming of this new Jerusalem. He's just simply expressing that this is something very, very beautiful. Right. And it's an eternal place where we will dwell someday. And verse three says, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. So you have to realize how wonderfully amazing this is, what John is seeing in this vision. Because we know today that by His Holy Spirit, God indwells those that have been, who have been born again, right? We currently, by faith and through the indwelling of His Spirit, are sons and daughters of the living God. Today we gather as a body of believers and when we do we can know that His Holy Spirit is in our midst. So He is with us and in us by His Holy Spirit and we know this by faith. And today we walk by faith and not by sight. But what we're reading about here in verse 3 is a time when God Himself will be actually with us. And will dwell with us. This is not faith that we're talking about here. This is the fruition of our faith. This is our faith having its ultimate end. Okay. And God will be with us. And we shall be his people. And again, as we walk by faith in this life today, we still have troubles, don't we? People die and... We see them no more on this earth. And this causes great sorrow and weeping. There is sickness, there is pain and such in this life. But by faith, we press on, don't we? Because we're waiting for that amazing time in the future when we will be with God and God will be with us. And at that time, verse 4 says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. So not only this earth as we now see it with our eyes will be changed, right? But the things of this earth like death, like sorrow, pain, crying, all of that will pass away as well. So praise be to God for that. He is worthy of all praise for that. And that is why we are to be a people of praise. Not because we look at how life is today and praise God for it. But we look at what he has done for us to redeem us and to give us eternal life and where we are going. That is why we praise God today. You see, this earth is really nothing to sing about. But the new Jerusalem is something to sing about. And all of this is the result of the work Of Jesus Christ. And verse five says, then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write for these words are true and faithful. So it was very important that John write this down. And remember, John is still writing down everything that Jesus is showing him in this vision. And we are here reading it today. And it is Jesus Christ himself that will make all things new. Verse six continues. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirst. You see, it's Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega. You know, it's kind of interesting. I didn't do it in this study. But if you take the time to go back and look at creation. Genesis chapter 1, right? And then you you go on back to Revelation chapter 21 about where we are now, and you kind of compare. There was the creation of the sea. There was the end of the sea. There was the beginning of sin. There was the end of sin. There was the Creator there in the beginning. There's the Creator there at the end. Okay, So it all ties together. But Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He was there at the beginning of this present earth and he will be there at the end of this present earth. Then in addition to all that, he will make all the earth. He will make a new earth again. Right. He'll make all things new. And we will be back in a paradise. We saw that in Genesis 2. Right. It started in a paradise. It's going to end with the people of God being in a paradise. And this is what heaven will be for you and me. This place will dwell in the new Jerusalem. Life will be eternal there. There will be an endless fountain of life to drink from. That's what Jesus says here. But there is something that we still have to do before we can get to that place. And verse 7 tells us, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God and He shall be my son. So we have to overcome this present life first. First John chapter 5 and verse 4 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith is the victory that overcomes this world. Right. So again, we must continue in the faith. We must keep walking by faith in order to overcome, right? Our faith in Jesus Christ will cause us to overcome. Not our faith in ourselves, not our faith in some other higher power, but our faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone and what He has done, okay? But you know, it also says in 1 John chapter 5 that we have to love God, And we have to keep his commandments. You see, a lot of people think that all they have to do is believe in Jesus and say they're saved by grace. And then it doesn't matter how they live. But the Bible does not teach that anywhere. We must love God and we must keep his commandments. And that's what walking by faith is all about. Right? And that's what will make us overcomers. And when we overcome, we will inherit all things, as verse 7 says there. And then we will dwell with God forever in the new Jerusalem that John is describing here in this vision that he sees coming down out of heaven. So that's who will be in the new Jerusalem, the overcomers, those that by faith continue to walk in this life and overcome. But who will not be there? verse 8 says but the cowardly unbelieving abominable murderers sexually immoral sorcerers sorcerers idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire which burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death so this is for real folks all right Do you see that word cowardly there? That's a a good interpretation of the Greek word because the Greek word is a word that means timid or fearful. right? The King James translates that Greek word there as fearful, which is totally fine. But what I want to point out to you is the way that that word is really used here. Because this word is used only two other times. In the New Testament, this word cowardly, right? Or that Greek word, I should say, is used two other times in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 8, and you can go ahead and and turn there if you'd like. Matthew chapter 8. I'm just going to touch quickly on a couple verses here. And the reason I'm stressing this is because you could read that word cowardly there and say, wow, just because somebody is timid and shy and doesn't come forward, they're going to go to hell for that? No, I'm going to show you what's being talked about here with that original Greek word, okay? Matthew chapter 8, verse 26. It's Jesus saying here, But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? O you of little faith. So what is Jesus speaking of here? He is speaking of their lack of faith, and he uses this same Greek word for fearful. Okay, It's the same Greek word used in Revelation 21 for cowardly. Now I'll show you the other example in Mark chapter 4. The next book to the right, Mark chapter 4. Verse 40. Okay, same situation, but he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? So that's the two times, the two other times that that Greek word for cowardly is used. And both times it's referring to lack of faith. It's referring to not living by faith. okay. So as we flip back to Revelation chapter 21, that's what we're seeing here in verse 8. Those without an active faith in Christ will not be in the new Jerusalem. Only those who reverence God and keep His commandments will be there. We will not see murderers there, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, because they will have their part in the lake of fire, which burns... uh, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So I'm saying this to you again, folks, and that is is that we have to take the word of God very seriously when it tells us that we have to live soberly and righteously in this present age. We must overcome this life by faith in order to be in the new Jerusalem, in the presence of God. The Greek word for sexually immoral there in verse 8 is the word pornos. Okay, sounds like the word pornography, right? And this includes any kind of sex outside of marriage, okay? Because sex is ordained by God for marriage and for marriage only. And the Greek word for sorcerers there is the word pharmakias. And it speaks of one that makes their own rem- remedies, right? People say, I roll my own. Well, you make your own remedy, right? And this speaks of mind-altering drugs, okay? The Bible tells us not to be drunk and not to do things, to, to stay sober, not to alter our minds. And drunkards, we are told, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, they won't be in heaven either. So we're not to make our own remedies that alter our minds in any ways, right? Nor are we to buy these mind-altering drugs from others that make them, right? And don't get carried away with what I'm saying here. It's very plain to see the kind of drugs that quickly, that people use to, to get a buzz. Or they use it for a feeling of euphoria. They use it for recreational purposes. We're not talking about pain relief here, okay? We're talking about recreational mind altering drugs, homemade remedies that people make for those purposes, okay? Rather than choosing to be sober-minded and rather than choosing to reverence God with their lives, people instead abuse their bodies for the sake of feeling good. Okay? And people need to repent. And turn to Jesus and then they will have such an abundant life, such a peace and contentment within them that they don't need to use that stuff to escape from reality. Anyway, right? Now, look, those of you that know me and have listened to me teach through the Bible for the past several years now, you know that I'm not a hellfire and brimstone kind of a teacher teacher. I believe in the love of God that reaches out and calls us to repentance. But you can't just gloss over these kind of scriptures found here in the Word of God. Okay? And as a minister of the gospel, I will be held accountable as to whether I taught the whole counsel of the Word of God to people. And it just so happens that we have come upon this place in scripture where the truth of hell, fire, and brimstone is real. It's a reality. And it's for those that don't keep the commandments of God. It's for those that don't live soberly and righteously. Okay? And I know it's easy to want to kill the messenger, but just read the Word of God, and if you have a complaint with it, you have to take that up with God. It's just my job to teach it what's here. But the lake of fire we see awaits these type of people. And in verse 9, Back in Revelation 21, verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. So John has already seen this new Jerusalem coming down, but now he's going to get a real in-depth view of it, and he's going to describe it to us in that way. Real in-depth, okay? Verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Okay, so pause right here for a moment because I I want you to keep in mind here what we are seeing portrayed. The new Jerusalem is coming down, adorned as a bride for her husband. And this city will contain the people of God, those that have overcome. And when you see a bride coming down the aisle, again, to me, this is a beautiful thing, right? I, in my life, I longed for a wife when I was young. And I always remember the day I saw my bride coming down the aisle. It's vivid in my mind. It's still entrenched in my mind. I just remember her coming down the aisle. And to me, it was beautiful, right? And this is what John is describing here, just something very beautiful, something very precious. And he's going to go into detail here and describe every beautiful part of this new Jerusalem, And he says there in verse 11 that the city had the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south and three gates on the west. So a couple of things we see here. The city has a high wall around it, and this keeps out those that can't come in, right? This is an angel, and there is an angel at each one of the gates. There are 12 angels and 12 gates. And do you see how important Israel is to God? This eternal place will have the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel written on the gates. And this is how important Israel is, even to this day, to God. Don't mess with Israel. It is the apple of God's eye. Verse 14, Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the lambs. So, twelve foundations, (laughs) this is a great, high wall, indeed, isn't it? And you see, we as the people of God, the church, the body of Christ, right, we have been built upon the foundation of the apostles. Ephesians 2.20 tells us that, right? You see, the apostles were the ones that Jesus chose to spread the gospel and to set up churches with elders that taught people in the word of God. So, The apostles are of great importance and they will be remembered for all eternity with their names written on the foundation of the new Jerusalem. And John will continue with his fine details here. And he says in verse 15, and he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square, its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with a reed. 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. So 12,000 furlongs is about 1,500 miles. Just to give you an example, if you travel by road from Florida to Maine, it's at 1,592 miles. Okay, So that's the length, the breadth, and the height Of the New Jerusalem. And look, we can spend time getting into all the comparisons, but just know that this place is plenty big enough. Okay? Plenty big enough. Verse 17 Then he measured its wall 144 cubits according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. That's over 200 feet. Okay. Is that 200 feet high or is that 200 feet thick? People debate that and we're not really told and I don't debate it. It's just 200 feet. <laughs> and John is just simply, again, the point is, is that the beauty of this place, the awesomeness of this place, that's what John is getting across to us. Verse 18, the construction of of its wall was of jasper and the city was pure gold like clear glass the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones the first foundation was jasper the second sapphire the third chal- chalcedony the fourth emerald the fifth sardonyx the sixth sardius the seventh chrysolite. the eighth barrel and the ninth topaz the tenth crystal phrase. You can pronounce that better than me. The eleventh jacinth and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Now look, I'll admit something to you here. That And that is, is that Again, and you've seen it, I'm sure, but I'm a very simple guy, and and my calling is to simply put the message of the Bible out to the people that God allows me to do so with. There are those of you that come out on Sunday morning, there are those that I teach during the week, and there are those that listen to these teachings now worldwide over the Internet. But again, my my, my calling is to simply convey the message that God is awesome, that he loves the people of the world, that he became flesh and that he dwelt among us, that he went to the cross, that he died for our sins to make us ready for eternal life, that he is not willing that any should perish. And I teach that according to scriptures, we are to repent and we are to walk by faith and we are to live soberly and righteously in this present age. Right. And I expound on, on all these kind of things in the scriptures, but I love to just teach the Bible in a very plain, and a very simplistic way. And I have no problem admitting that I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer and I don't always go into the finest of detail. And what's my point of all of this? My point is, is that you can go much deeper with all of these precious stones. And you can do a study on them, and people have. And that's a great thing. I'm just simply saying... I look at the message, and I look at the power of the message and and the beauty of what John is describing here, right? But you can spend some wonderful time studying these precious stones mentioned here and all of their qualities, and I've seen other teachers go and do all that, and I think it's great, right? But I want to stick to my calling and making sure that the core message gets out to the people that God allows me to teach. And that is, is that there is a heaven... There is a hell and there's one way to get there and one way to get there only. And as we get to this place in Revelation, we're seeing the beauty of heaven. Hell has been done away with. Sin has been dealt with. You know, it's been dealt with for the people of God anyway. Right. And now we have this eternal place and the beauty of it is all being described here again. And I'm just very simply think of a bride walking down the aisle and say, wow, she's beautiful. Look how she's adorned and she's going to be my wife. And that's what God is conveying to us here. We are going to be his people. And this is what he has prepared for us. And all that being said, I'm just moving on into verse 22 here. And it says, but I saw no temple in it for the Lord God almighty and the lamb are its temple. Now, what is a temple? A temple is, of course, a place of worship, is it not? And we won't need a temple in the New Jerusalem. For the one that we worship will be right there. He'll be present with us. He will be our God and we will be his people. Right? But today it's important that we gather for worship. Today it's important that we encourage one another in the ways of the word of the Lord and exhort one another and pray for one another. Why? Because we're on this side of heaven We're still in this time where we all fall short. We're still in a time where the world falls short for us. And we need to to press on in faith and keep going by faith. So that's why it's important that we gather in worship now. But then there'll be no need for a temple. There'll be no need for that, right? And verse 23 says, The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nation of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Notice, that, notice there that it's those who are saved that will walk in its light. So you see, the New Jerusalem, it's all to the glory of God. And you see, today, kings of the earth have some glory, but there they will not. They will just bring all their glory and honor and everything. It's all glory to God there, right? Because this is a glorious place that God himself will illuminate. Verse 25 says, Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So again, it's a beautiful place, to say the least. But here in verse 27, we're reminded again of the fact that only those people whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will be in this place. Only those that have repented and turned to Christ. Only those that have overcome this life by faith, who stayed the course and walked in soberness and righteousness, right? Those that deny ungodliness and walk in the commandments of the Lord. This does not mean we are under the law today. We are, of course, under grace. And I know I'm a broken record with this scripture, but... Titus chapter 2 tells us what that grace is and what that grace does. It teaches us to deny ungodliness. It teaches us to live soberly and righteously in this present age because we've got to overcome this life by faith in order to get to the new Jerusalem. Okay, And you don't want to miss the new Jerusalem because it's a wonderful place where we'll be with our God forevermore. It'll be the home of those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for the truth of your word, the power of your word. Thank you, God, that your word and your word alone can do a work within our hearts and within our minds, Lord. I know that my words and anyone else's words on the face of this earth fall short, Lord, but your word never fails. So I pray, Lord, that we will take your word seriously, Lord, and that we would desire to live this life for you wholeheartedly as we see the truth of your word, as we see the destructiveness of sin and wickedness and evil and all the things that we see in this present world but we know that someday all of this will be done away with it will all be dwe- dealt with and we will dwell with you for all of eternity Lord but Lord we ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us all the more that we would seek you all the more that we would pray more that we would gather together more that we would fellowship around your name more. that we would take our walks of faith seriously, Lord, that we would surrender every aspect of our lives to you. We thank you for this time together, Lord, as we go forward into a new week. Lord, if you tarry, we pray that you would go before us in all things. We just give you thanks and praise and all glory and honor is yours. In Jesus' name, amen.